Well, good morning. We will continue this morning in our study of the Gospel of Luke. So if you brought your Bible, which I trust you have, turn in it to Luke chapter 10. And we're not in the business of bucket repair this morning. But buckets obviously will come into play in the message. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money, bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, They would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one who the, knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. 
Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. We'll call this sending forth the 70. Uh, if you remember a few chapters ago, we saw sending out the 12. Notice I used a little different word there, and we're going to talk about it in a minute using a map. But uh, this is different now from the sending out of the 12, the, ma the main guys we're used to, you know, the 12 apostles, right? He sent them out to preach. And they went out preaching the kingdom of God in all the surrounding villages of uh, Galilee. This is different now. He's sending them forth. And if you notice, they went ahead of him. Jesus is actually making a progress. And we'll look at a map in a minute. From the north of uh, Palestine, Galilee, he's leaving that area for the last time. Which makes these words more poignant, as you're going to see. And he's working his way down to Jerusalem to to die, to be crucified. He's already, as you remember, the last couple of chapters said twice that he is going to be crucified. He's going to die. And so now, uh, in God's timing, that time is approaching. And he's going to be working his way down. And as he approaches the villages, he goes south. The 70 in pairs, 35 pairs, will go, be going ahead, basically saying, uh, the Lord is coming. Get ready. Kind of what we do when we go door to door. By the way, this, uh, is, this passage is full of excitement. I don't know if you caught it or not. Did you see that? The 70 go out and they return with joy. They were so excited. Did you catch that? And then Jesus, this is incredible. Jesus got excited. This is one of the rarest passages in the Gospels. What did it say? It said in verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. It doesn't say that anyplace else in the Scripture. Jesus is excited. There's a lot of excitement and thrills in this passage. And as I uh, read it, I began to think, of a common uh, phenomenon nowadays called the bucket list. Who doesn't know what a bucket list is? Go ahead, don't be bashful. We have a few, okay, bucket list. comes from a movie several years ago, apparently. But um, it's, it was about two guys that were dying, I understand. I haven't seen it. And uh, they were old baby boomers like me. And before they died, there were things they wanted to do. And so uh, they made a list of things they wanted to do. Anyway, it's caught on. It's, it's all over the place now. Everybody has a bucket list. That is, things I want to do before I die. And it's interesting, uh, looking at these lists, I, just for grins, I went on the Internet, and, and people have them posted everywhere, their bucket list. And uh, once you... Uh, begin to read enough of them, they tend to have several things in common. Uh, right at the top of the list, typically, is exciting places to go. 
Everybody has, you know, Rome, the Taj Mahal, um, which is Red Square, right? It's a Neuschwanstein Castle in Germany, in Bavaria, after which the Sleeping Beauty Castle uh, was patterned in Disneyland. You know, the funny thing is, I found a couple of bucket lists from other countries. They want to come to the U.S. <laughs> and we want to go over there. Isn't that funny? People on the East Coast want to, go to, uh, want to come to San Francisco. People in San Francisco want to go to New York. <laughs> I don't want to sound cynical, but you know, after you've seen one big city, you've seen them all. Relatively speaking, obviously. I picked this one um, because it, it's a personal favorite of mine. I've actually been here. Um, it's, called the, it's called the Iguazu Falls. It's the largest waterfall in the world, area-wise, not, not height-wise. Brother Eric uh, took me there when I visited the Shorkins down in Brazil. Um, this, particular, this is just a little piece of it. It goes on for two miles. It's incredible. It takes you all day to see it. Uh, this particular area here, unfortunately, is called the Devil's Throat. I'm sorry. Okay. But it is, you see it comes down on three sides. You see that white plume. You can see this. We were 10 miles away, and we saw the plume going up in the air. We thought it was a forest fire. And uh, I don't know if you can see it, but there's a, see this walkway? In Brazil, they don't have to worry about people suing them, you know. They build these walkways, they get washed out every year. But you can walk right out, you can walk right on the lip of the devil's throat. And Eric and I were out there, the two of us, on the end of that walkway, looking down into this gorge. We had to yell at the top of our lungs, and you still couldn't hear the other guy. It was so awesome. Uh, but you can see it from the other direction, too. Later, we went down, and there's this guy over here, He's got a little speedboat, no life preservers. And you give him basically a dollar. And he'll take you up. And we went up this way until the boat's going like this in the front. And he's got it open full bore, and it's, it's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there slapping the waves. And the flow is so great, it can't go anymore. So you're sitting there going like this in the boat, just getting drenched by this. So you get to experience it for firsthand. It's awesome. So I can scratch that off my bucket list. Okay. <laughs> I've been there. And uh, of course, um, the next thing is exciting things to do. That's not me. <laughs> Everybody knows what this is? Bungee jumping, yeah. Uh, some people think that's fun. And uh, that's not me either. Skydiving. These are all, that, that's me when I was younger. Doesn't it look like me? Yeah, you know, one of the uh, things people, only a few people have this on their bucket list. Climb all 14 8,000-meter mountains in the world. There are only 14 of them over 8,000 meters. 
It's about 25,000 feet. And most people can't even climb one of them. So it's the goal of some people before they die. And, and uh, as of last year, 26 people have actually climbed all 14 8,000-meter uh, peaks in the world. Now what do they do? That's the thing. What do you do after that, right? Go to the moon, I guess. I don't know. Uh, that's Howard. No, it's not Howard. But I had to put that in there. A lot of them like to go diving, and a lot of, their go a lot of them have their, as their bucket list, um, dive in the Great Barrier Reef. Okay, you get the idea. Uh, and it's interesting reading uh, some of these. Uh, besides exotic places to go, exciting things to do, people often have, in fact, on that list I had up there, there were a couple, they put, I'd like to meet so-and-so, some famous person, you know, the president, or some rock star, or a movie star, you know, or uh, athlete, somebody like that. Now, the interesting thing is that uh, as I went over these bucket lists, oh, by the way, yeah, it, it's no longer the exclusive domain of old people and baby boomers. Young, young people do this. Now, they call them bucket lists, too. You know, young people, in other words, it's just a list of things I want to do. In fact, they don't like the idea of death, so they, they, kind of, they use the word bucket, but they don't say things I want to do before I die because young people typically don't like to think about that part. They just call it something, a list of things that they, they want to do in their life. But what was interesting to me was, um, number one, when people get uh, through their list of exciting things to do and places to go and people to meet, a lot of them, you can see they kind of get a twinge of conscience. And they put in something like, help the unfortunate. Just one line. Isn't that interesting? It always tends to be down toward the bottom. Like, maybe I shouldn't always think of myself, you know. But the, the one item that I found missing that should be on everybody's list, I believe, that one. Here we are talking about what I should do before I die, what I really want to do, the most important things. This should be number one, right? <laughs> before I die, I think the best thing in the world would be for me to make sure that when I die, I know where I'm going. It's been taken care of, right? But you don't see that. This this should be, and if you're here today and you don't, you don't know the Lord, let me tell you, this should be your bucket list right here. And you should be pursuing this one item the way people pursue uh, going up into the Himalayas and climbing Everest and, and going to the Taj Mahal and diving the Barrier Reef. People put so much energy into all these activities, and then when they die, what good is that stuff? I hate to use old preacher jokes, but this is one that, that really hits it on the head. Some billionaire died, and two, two guys were at the funeral, and one says to the other, how much did he leave? And the other guy says, all of it. Right? So, let me, I'm going to be talking to the believers this morning, the Christians, but if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, make this your bucket list. Okay? 
before you do anything else, find God. Should be number one. Well, uh, as I said, we're going to talk to the believers this morning, and, and this passage is going to help us. You may be wondering, how does it fit into this passage? Well, you'll see. Uh, and really, I don't like that the, the word bucket, you know. For believers, we shouldn't be calling it a bucket. You know, you know what it comes from, right? Bang. When you die, you kick the bucket, right? That's what it comes from. Look, when we leave this scene, we go to be with the Lord, brothers and sisters. So call it your resurrection list, okay? But now, we have to be careful. Let's not follow the ways of the world. Our resurrection list should be different from the world's bucket list, don't you think? The things that we as believers really want to do before we go to be with the Lord should be entirely different from what those in the world who don't know God want to do. Don't you think? Maybe? Yeah? So that's what we're going to look at. By the way, um, as I said, the, the uh, three common things, exciting places to go, exciting things to do, and exciting people to meet. We, we can already check off two of those. Do you realize that? Listen, when I die, you know where I'm going? <laughs> that's right. What does it say in 1 Corinthians? It says, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. It goes on to say the Spirit is revealed. That doesn't mean, uh, oh, I, so I already know everything about heaven. I mean, I don't need to bother going there because God's already told me everything about it. No, he's not saying it. He's saying we, we know about them because, it, because God has told us about them. But what he says is you can't imagine what it's going to be like. That's what he's saying. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't even entered into your heart. You can't imagine what it's going to be like. So don't worry if you don't get to see the Taj Mahal or Neuschwanstein. When you get to heaven, you, you know, you're not going to go around saying, man, this is nothing, I saw the Taj Mahal. <laughs> Look, when you see God face to face, you, you're not going to remember the Taj Mahal. And so that's the other, you, so you can check off famous, and by the way, I'm not saying, look, don't go on vacation, I love it, we just went to London, our family, a couple of years, we had a great time. I'm not saying don't go uh, places, yeah, it's, it's fun. But not with the same uh, kind of desperate zeal that the world does, you know, like I've got to do this before I die kind of, kind of stuff, you know. And the other, uh, meeting uh, exciting people, famous people. You're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. Think about that. You, personally, are going to look in his eyes, the one who loved you to death, who died for you. You realize that? God in the flesh. You're going to see him. You're going to have a personal interview. One-on-one. -on -one. It says that. I, look, how can I talk this way? I can talk this way because God says all these things right here. Okay? It's going to happen. So any famous people you may want to meet, forget it. Okay, you're going, to, you're going to meet Jesus if you know him. But well, the third thing on the list, exciting, thrilling things to do. That's what we're talking about this morning. 
Because as believers, you know, uh, people when they make their bucket list, they like to come up with something that only a few people can do. A good example is climbing the 8,000 meter mountains. Not many people can do that. So when you put it on your list, if you really can do it, man, you're an exclusive group. Okay. Well, listen, brothers and sisters, there are things that you can do that most of the world cannot. That's exciting. Beginning with serving God. You go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, ho hum. Really? What would you rather do? Something that ends, uh, some activity that's no good after the grave or something that's good for eternity? Preferably, I think I'd choose the latter. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And uh, no wonder Jesus himself gets excited about it. Okay, so I said I'd uh, tell you where we are in this thing here. Um, I chose this map because it's, surprisingly enough, it's fairly uh, simple compared to most of them. But uh, for the bulk of uh, the Gospel of Luke, we've been up in here, right? Galilee. You should recognize the names. There's Capernaum where we spent a lot of time. Remember, Jesus got rejected at his hometown of Nazareth. And so he basically made his home in Capernaum right here on the Sea of Galilee. He's been there for most of the time. He's had an occasional, we're not sure, either two or three trips down to Jerusalem for the Passover, but then he tends to go right back up again. You with me? Okay. So now he's been telling them just recently, the disciples, I'm about to be uh, killed. I'm going to go down and be killed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And that's where he's going now. He's leaving this area of Galilee. And he's going to make the trip down toward Jerusalem. Now, he's going to get here a few months in advance. And so a lot of the ministry during the, uh, the next five or six chapters of Luke is going to be here in Perea. See Perea here? On the other side of the Jordan and then back again. And finally, he'll have one final trip to Jerusalem where he'll be crucified. So that's what's going on. As they work their way down here, that's what the 70 are doing. They're going to the towns and villages, and there's a lot more that's on the map here. Before he comes through, the 70 go into the village, and they say, Jesus is coming. They announce his arrival. That's, that's their job. Now, uh, the... Main activity, the exciting thing that I think we ought to add to our lists is what Jesus talks about here. Verse 2. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, it's interesting, you know, this, this verse is often used to uh, apply to missionaries. And that's, that's a good application. But it's broader than that. The, the harvest, the harvest, by the way, you, you understand what it is, people. Okay? In particular, people who don't know the Lord, whether they're overseas or right here at home. Jesus looks out on the, on the people and he says the harvest is plentiful, it's great, it's wide into harvest, he said. In, in John, as he looks out on all the people. He says, but there's a problem. There are just a few laborers. Can you imagine looking at a gigantic field, you know, thousands of acres of wheat? 
and only two guys to harvest it? That's what Jesus is saying. He said, the harvest is great. There's a lot of people who are ready to be harvested, but there's nobody to do it. Now, I don't know if you ever noticed. I always wondered this. Why does he say the laborers are few, so pray that the Lord will send? Why doesn't he just say the harvest is plentiful, so you guys need to go out there and do something about it? Why didn't he say that? You notice he didn't say, so you go out and harvest. Do you know why he didn't say that? Because you want people who are sent by God to go out and do the harvesting. Not just anybody. When you've got a wheat field that's ready to uh, bring in, don't send me out there. I don't know the first thing about harvesting wheat. I'd probably come back with a bunch of weeds in my hand. And when it comes to people work, this may be a shocker for you, believer. It's not just for anybody. Did you know that? Listen, it takes, number one, maturity. You don't want somebody messing with people's souls that are still baby Christians. That doesn't mean you don't witnessing. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to the real labor of God, of working among people and uh, harvesting their soul, and that's just the beginning, by the way. Getting saved, that's... Pardon me, Sharon. The easy part is, is having a child. That's the easy part, giving birth. Right, parents? Huh? You know, it's over in... Well, nine months. Okay. But it's over and done with. The hard part is the next 18 whatever years. And so it is with people and in God's field. The easy part is getting saved. And you understand what I mean by that? It was hard work. It was the travail of Jesus' soul to save people. But we're saved in a moment of time. And it takes years uh, to raise a believer up to maturity. Some people, you wonder if they're ever going to reach it. It takes decades. That's the work. And that's the work Jesus is saying. There's a crying need for workers. But he doesn't just say, okay, so everybody get out there and start working. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers into, notice, his harvest. He's very particular about who's going to go out and do it. It takes maturity. It takes discernment. It takes commitment, by the way. I think this is one of the reasons why uh, not very many Christians really roll up their sleeves and get into working with other people as a lifetime occupation. It's hard work, and they don't want to do it. It's that simple. So besides the qualification, there's a willingness. God, look, God doesn't want, like, you know, he, he, wants, he likes a cheerful giver, it says, right? Not somebody who gives begrudgingly. And that's what he wants in his workers, his laborers in the harvest. So, Pray. Pray that God will raise up labors. And when you pray, say, Lord, make it me. Please send me. But before you go, he's going to have to raise you up. He's going to have, there's some things that are going to have to happen to really use you in the lives of people. It's exclusive work. Man, I tell you, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know where, you're, where you're thinking right now, but this is exciting stuff, man. 
working in the lives of people for God. How's that? For a calling. Is that pretty high? Not just anybody. You want to know how rare it is? Listen to Paul. Listen to this. Most of you know this verse. Listen to what Paul is saying here. He says to the Philippian believers, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Timothy, his disciple. That I also may be encouraged when I know your state. Why does he say that? What What he's saying is he's not sure how they're doing. He wants to know how they're doing spiritually. So he's going to send somebody to find out exactly how they're doing. You don't just send anybody to do that, do you? You know, you send a baby Christian, they're like, oh, they're praising the Lord. And they've got all kind of problems. So he's going to send Timothy. Why? Here's what he says. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now, I would have expected Paul to say, you know, i got hundreds of great workers to, that I could send over there and do what I need done, so I'll just pick one at random. He says, I'm going to send Timothy because he's the only guy that I know I can send, and I know he's going to come back, and I can believe what he says because he knows, he has discernment. He's a mature man of God. And then he goes on to say what? For all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Does that surprise you? It's a surprising fact, and and I can relate to this. Sometimes when someone gets involved in in, uh, people work, they have a little problem with pride. And they say, look at me, I'm a shepherd, I'm an elder, I'm a counselor, you know? I led somebody to Christ. Look how great I am. Don't think it doesn't happen. I've been there. And it's hard sometimes for young believers, men or women, to get over that thing of, look what I did. That's why Paul says later in this book, so I forget the things that lay behind and I press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. You know what drags you down in the Christian life? Victories. More than uh, defeats, I believe. You know, I just told something to somebody, man, was it ever good. It was the right verse. Man, I am so good. I am so wise. And that'll hang on to you for months. You keep remembering that great thing you did, you know. And it ends up seeking their own. It's like, look at me, you know? Look at how great I am. They seek their own. It's it's the natural man coming out. I love this verse in Proverbs, down here on the bottom. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. Isn't that good? Look how great I am. And then God says, but who can find a faithful man? He's implying a guy that's not full of himself, in other words. He says, there are a dime a dozen. The guys that go around and say, man, I'm cool. I'm a a great Christian. You know, look at me. But uh, who can find? He said, they're rare. And that's the kind of man or woman God wants to put out into the field, you see. 
So when you pray that God will raise up laborers and you want to go yourself, then be ready to be that kind of a person. Humble, broken. What does it say in that book of Philippians? What, what does he stress there? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what kind of mind was that? Esteeming others better than yourself. You, you better not get into the lives of people until you can do that. If you're looking up when you're shepherding people, that's great. That's, that's the perfect stance to shepherd from. If you're looking down, you know, you go home and at dinner time, you're saying, boy, you know, so-and-so did. So you should have heard what so-and-so said. You know, I can't believe they're Christians. Forget it. God doesn't want you out in his field. But if you can be looking up, you know, well aware of what a sinner you are, and if you're open to it, you learn more and more every day. Man, you're, you're the perfect person for God to use to shepherd other people, to witness, to disciple, to counsel. Now, there's a little aside here in this passage that I saved from sending out the 12 because I wanted to do it when we got to the, uh, the 70. If you noticed how the Lord sent out his disciples. It's a big word. It's got three letters called two. You notice? And we didn't talk about it when we looked at the 12, but if it's either Mark or Matthew, he tells us there, he sent them out in pairs. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus, the wisest man when it comes to uh, sending people out to do his work, Sent them out in pairs, two by two. And there's a good principle here. This is dear to my heart now, having been a Christian for 40 years and having co-labored among people with uh, my wife and with uh, five other, I can count them on one hand, five men in 40 years, that I've worked with for years or decades among people that I can really say we co-labored together in the, in the field of God. It's precious, let me tell you. If you've never experienced it, you're missing the greatest thrill in the world of co-laboring with another person in the field of God. Nothing like it. There's a closeness, a fellowship that you can't have any other way. There's, uh, it's the experience of fellowship that can only come through shared trials and difficulties and struggles and victories. Looking at God working and, and seeing how marvelous it was. I love this when the disciples came back. They were so excited. Even the, the demons are subject to us. If you notice when Jesus sent them out, he didn't tell them they were going to be able to do that. Did you catch that? He did it with the uh, 12. But with the 70, he didn't say, when you guys go out, the demons are going to be subject to you. And so, I, I don't know how it happened. I would have loved to have been there. But clearly, he said, you need to heal them. And somebody, you know, they're bringing up sick people. And somebody brought up a demon-possessed kid. And, and here's two, uh, two disciples, you know. What do we do? And they probably said, well, I remember the 12. They cast out demon in Jesus' name. Let's trust then in the name of Jesus, we can cast this demon out and heal this person. You know? And it happened. And they got all excited. 
And they came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He's like that. You get a couple of guys or a couple of gals laboring together in the field and you wonder what God's going to do. And sometimes at the end, you're into yourself and you pray and bang, Jesus does something totally unexpected. And you see him at work and you get excited and you come back with joy. Two. What does it say in Proverbs? Two, or pardon me, Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. What he means by that is you're more effective as two people. You got two people working with someone. Someone runs out of a, somebody, they ask a question and you don't know what to say. And the other brother or the other sister is there to pick up the ball when you drop it. Or you're, you're talking to someone about the Lord and you know the Lord's at work, but then you hit an obstacle and you don't know where to go. And the other brother or sister, God gives them just the right words to say. Or while you're talking, the other brother or sister's praying while you're talking. Praying that God will use you too. And so two can be more effective than one. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Yeah. And that's true in so many ways. You, you can go out and, or, or you can just uh, be uh, praying over a situation and someone can get really discouraged and the other person will, will uh, encourage you in the Lord. It's a lot better than being one in that case. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. All of these benefits of two working together. That's why Jesus sent them out in pairs. It would be wonderful to have the details of these pairs and their experiences as they went out, you know? You could just see them. For example, uh, remember the Lord, the Lord said, look, don't move house to house. You go to a house, they feed you, you stay there, you eat the food they give you, and don't be looking for the best cook in town, you know? And you could see the two of them that evening as, as they're uh, lying down, and, and one says, man, I didn't like tonight's dinner. Why don't we try this house down the street, you know? And the other one says, wait a minute, but the Lord said we need to go to a house and stay there. See, checking the other one. Praise God for plurality of leadership. I can't tell you the number of times that comes into play. When you've got one brother or two helping another one to stay in line or, or you, know, you bounce ideas off of each other. And then you pray about it. And you say, wait a minute, that wouldn't be the Lord's will. Think about it. We don't want to do that. The Lord knows what he's doing. Uh, by the way, it, it, you notice Jesus didn't mix any words about it. When he sent them out in verse 3, he said, Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. These, uh, the lawyers and the Pharisees and the scribes are waiting to eat these guys alive. And Jesus sends them out in pairs so that when one of them gets discouraged or fearful, you know, the other will pick them up and say, Look, we're out here. The Lord sent us. We're here because he sent us. And he's going to take care of us. We're going to show it later, but let me suggest that to you, okay? 
You, you want your resurrection list. One of them is, send me out into the field, Lord, that I might be a laborer in God's harvest. That's one of them. Another one is that uh, God will give me a soulmate. Now, the neat thing here is if you're married, you know, you're already there. But you can only have one wife or one husband. And when you've got a soulmate of the same sex, you can have as many as, as God will provide. But they're hard to find. So pray about that. And then uh, uh, Proverbs 8, uh, 27, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Praise God, you know, for the men and women in our lives that are willing to tell us the truth about ourselves. Isn't that good? Praise God for the men and women that are willing to take it and are teachable and willing to change, willing to listen. That takes place when you're co-laboring with a brother or a sister. And then uh, another good uh, verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 18. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. It's that kind of a, a co-laborer that you want to find. Pray for one. Add it to your list. By the way, um, this is really great that uh, you don't have to be married. Single people are sometimes kind of preoccupied, you know, with, Lord, please give me Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. You know, you don't have to wait for a husband and wife to find a co-laborer to work with in the field of God. That, that closeness, that fellowship, that fruitfulness, that effectiveness doesn't have to wait for marriage. You can start right now. And as I thought about this, of course, one of the verses that came to mind, he who desires to be an elder desires a good work. Who's the next generation of elders here at Calvary Bible Chapel if the Lord tarries? He says it's a good thing to want to do that. Isn't that good? You know, but like the laborers, it's God that's going to make an elder. But he said, if that's something you want to do, that's a good thing that you want to do that. So if you feel led by the Lord, put that on your resurrection list. He said it's a good thing to want to do that. It's a good thing to desire to do that. And maybe God will answer that. Okay, uh, we haven't got time to go through all of the, the uh, passage, but that's okay. A lot of it is repeated. Verses 3 through 11 talks about the conditions of them going out and, and reliance on the Lord, trusting in Him, no extra food, no extra money, no uh, two bags or extra pair of sandals, just the clothes on their back, pretty much, when they go out. Trusting the Lord, that's the idea. We saw that also with the twelve. But one of the things I wanted to uh, point out, uh, God didn't, uh, the Lord Jesus, when he sent out the twelve, didn't say this. Verses 9 and 11, he says it twice. When they go into uh, a village, they're supposed to say, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then again in verse 11, the kingdom of God has come near you. Isn't that interesting? These are just ordinary disciples going into a town 
And yet, they're supposed to tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. And when I read that, you know what I thought of? I'm not a big sci-fi guy, science fiction. But I know one of the, uh, the uh, favorite um, situations they like to do in science fiction is you have parallel universes, you know. You ever heard of that before? You got two, universe, two universes parallel to each other going on. You got this one that we're in, and then there's this other one. And every once in a while, a little door, op- a portal opens, you know, and you can go from one universe into the other. You ever heard of that? Yeah, that's a real common uh, theme in sci-fi. Well, that's not the way it is, but there are parallels, pardon the expression, with that and the way things really are. Because there is a very real spiritual realm. In fact, in a sense, it's more real than the physical. What does he say? The things that are seen are temporary, and the things that are not seen Spiritual things are what? Eternal. And what Jesus is saying here is, when you go through that town and you talk about Jesus and you preach Christ, it's like the door is just opened into heaven for those people. When you tell them about Christ and about salvation through Him, this is what happens when we preach Christ. When we share Christ with each other, You can tell that, you don't have to say it in words, but it's like the kingdom of God has come near you. The door is right there. You know? Enter in. And the people here, they, a lot of them didn't even realize that. You know, here's just a couple of ordinary guy fishermen going through our town, talking about some guy called Jesus. Forget it. And little did they know that the door to heaven was open right there in front of them. And they didn't take it. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, let me tell you, right now, the door is right here. Okay? it's, It's open right now to heaven. Jesus did a lot of work to open it for you. And you don't have to wait for anything special or anybody. You can walk in right now, today. The kingdom of God is near you. Okay? Heaven is open right now. Jesus opened it. And all you've got to do is enter in through Him. It's amazing here. Uh, several places in this passage. We're going to see it here in verse uh, 12. You see Jesus as God. Kind of standing back. First of all here, he does it as judge. Listen to this, verse 12. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. And he goes on as God now to pronounce judgment on these cities where uh, he did all these miracles and they rejected him. This is particularly poignant, like I said, because this is his last time up in Galilee. He's leaving. He's saying goodbye. You guys had your chance. Feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, healing all the sick. He'd done all this. They'd seen it. And they said, yeah, we like the healings. We like the resurrections. We like the free bread. It's just we don't want this man to reign over us. And so as God, he pronounces judgment on them. And then he turns to the disciples in verse 16 and he says, He who hears you 
hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. Don't feel intimidated, brother or sister, when you're talking to other people about Jesus. God delights in using unassuming things. Okay? So if you say, who am I? I'm just a nobody. Good. That's what God likes. Okay? And we have it right here on the authority of Jesus. He says, if they reject you, when you come to them with the word of God and you tell them about the plan of salvation and they reject you, hey, don't take it personally. Because they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Wow. Huh? In fact, he goes all the way up the chain. He says, they're rejecting you. They're rejecting me. They reject me. They reject the one who sent me, God the Father. That's the connection. That's serious business, huh? Think twice before you reject the message of Christ next time from a believer. That's serious stuff, Jesus says. Well, there's a, obviously a, quite a time gap between verses 16 and 17. 16 is his last words before they go out. He who hears you hears me. And then it says they returned. Wow, they hadn't gone out yet. So obviously they've gone out and they come back and they're all excited because the demons are subject to them. And I love it because they're talking as men and Jesus is here talking as God. Do you notice that in this conversation? First, he talked about judgment of cities. And they come back and say, even the demons. And he gets, he, in the spiritual dimension, sees the fall of Satan being cast out of heaven, an event yet to take place, but it's already being prepared now with the demons being cast out. His kingdom is beginning to fall apart. And Jesus, as God, sees the whole thing. And as he, say, he says, I saw Lucifer fall like lightning from heaven. And he's excited about it. He's excited and he's going to go on and give thanks for it because God in his wisdom, you'd think it'd, he'd shout from heaven with a voice, you know, that, that deafens the earth or fireworks uh, that light up the sky or something. But instead, God's using these nobodies, these disciples, these yous and me's. And uh, he brings them down to earth, by the way, and says in verse 20, Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names, wow, are written in heaven. Can you say that? Your name is written in heaven? Do you know that? Man, if you do, can you think of anything greater to be excited about? To be joyful about? I know when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. Can you imagine being able to say something like that? Praise God. And this is so like the Lord, because he's saying, look, you had, you had victories here, that's great, but you're going to have defeats too. You're going to have disappointments. Don't focus on that kind of stuff. That's where the battle rages. And sometimes you win, and sometimes the devil gets the upper hand. But this doesn't change. Your name is written in heaven. Nothing can touch that. Rest your joy on that. Circumstances change, but your name being written in heaven doesn't. 
Okay, as I said before, verse 21, this is really unusual uh, language here. It says, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Take notice. Look, if Jesus gets excited about something, then we should get excited too. And he's so excited as he looks at these fishermen and, and tax gatherers and just ordinary guys doing the work of God. He's, he's seeing it working out now, God's plan from the beginning to, to reach the world. Jesus hasn't stopped being excited, okay? He gets just as excited now when you and I work in the field of God, share Christ with others, see people saved, see them raised up. He's excited about that. That God uses nobody to do that kind of a work. And he gives thanks in verses 21 and 22. Uh, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to babes. That's us. That's babes. Okay, finally, um, Jesus ends with this wonderful expression here in verse uh, 23 and 24. Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not Heard it. Wow. I want you to think about what he's saying here. He's saying kings, and I can think of two, David and Solomon, probably a lot of other guys. They, they would have loved to experience what you guys are experiencing, to see it and to hear it. And they didn't get to. But you do. Now listen. If it was this great for the disciples here, who didn't even know about the cross yet, okay? In fact, they kind of suspected Jesus was the Messiah, but they weren't sure. And Jesus has said, man, you guys are privileged. You're blessed because of what you see. If they're blessed, how much more are we? Let me say it. We know Jesus Christ has come, God in the flesh, he has come. He has died for the sins of the world. He's risen. He's coming again. And right now, anyone, man, woman, or child, when they hear that message, if they simply trust that, they're saved forever. They're going to heaven. Think about that. You don't think David would have gotten excited if he had known about that? But he couldn't. It was hidden. You do, brothers and sisters. That's something to get excited about. Talk about uh, exciting things on lists. Wow. By the way, maybe some of you are here today and you're saying, uh, <clears throat> hey, Rick, how come you didn't do a Mother's Day message? Well, I did. I think it's great that of all the people in the world, it's Christian mothers who have a whole field to themselves, their children. And, uh, you know, in eternity, it's going to be interesting to see. I'm sure that, uh, you know, the great evangelists through the years have seen a lot of people saved and a lot of people have been shepherded and raised up for Christ. But I'm just wondering if mothers don't account for the bulk 
of men and women who have gone on for God because of the way they were raised in a Christian home. Thank God for Christian mothers. Amen. Huh? So, uh, really, don't feel left, left out, Mom. Okay, you're in the middle of this. So here is uh, my recommended, and I'm not going to call it a bucket list, the resurrection list. Okay? Number one, before you go to be with the Lord, wouldn't it be nice to be a laborer in His harvest? And no, you can't just go out, pray, and then He'll send you. Be, and then we're going to get real specific here. Uh, in the old ICT class, you remember that, right? Intermediate Christian training. One of the things on the goals was be specific. We're going to get specific. Number two, wouldn't it be great before you went to be with the Lord to just lead someone to Christ? I can tell you there's nothing like it. And right after that, and this can be the same person, by the way. You could, you, you could do two points on your uh, list here with one person. Disciple someone to maturity. Get them to the point to where they can stand on their own two spiritual legs in their relationship with Christ. And finally, as I said, something dear to my own heart, co-labor with a soulmate. If you've never really uh, been in the trenches and wept and rejoiced and labored in prayer with another person uh, over the souls of people, you've missed probably life's greatest blessing. Serving Christ in his field. Okay, not a bucket list, a resurrection list. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray this morning. We, uh, we recognize that what you said is so true that the sons of this world are sometimes more shrewd than the sons of light. And Lord, as we think about the, the zeal that uh, people of the world pursue temporary things that won't last, and the energy and the excitement that they put into it, and Lord, sometimes we, on the other hand, who claim interest in eternal things and yet seem so ho-hum about it, Lord, we pray that we might learn from the sons of this world and show some enthusiasm for the things of God. Lord, help us not to uh, be ho-hum Christians. Lord, we want to uh, have a resurrection list, not of exciting things for us, but of something that we can give you when we see you face to face. May it be like a, a gift list for Jesus. Lord, we want to be able to offer something in return, not in payment, but just out of gratitude for all that you have done for us. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for loving us the way you do. We pray in your name. Amen.